Hey, this is Adam. On the 2nd of November, the African Precy podcast partnered with the Africa Fintech Summit in Lusaka, Zambia to host the first ever edition of APS Live, where our host Hope had three amazing guests on the couch in front of a live audience to discuss whether fintech is indeed the one true vertical within the African tech ecosystem. Massive thanks to the Africa Fintech Summit and Lusaka, Zambia for hosting us and we cannot wait for 2024 where APS Live will be coming to a tech ecosystem hub near you across the continent. Enjoy the show. Okay. Hi everyone, how are you all doing? Please feel free to shout, to sigh, to just give a sense of how you're feeling after this incredible, incredible conference to date, just so that we capture the magic of what this experience has been, but also that's the experience we hope to replicate today with our guests. So firstly, we are super excited to launch the first live podcast of the African Pre-Seed Podcast right here in Lusaka in Zambia. We have partnered with the Africa Fintech Summit just to create the space for a little bit more of an intimate feel and robust engagements and debates on our coveted topic today, which is, is Fintech the one true vertical in the African tech ecosystem? But before we get carried away, I'll just start with some intros for my amazing guest today. First up, on my left, we have Michael Kimani, who's the co-founder of Font Bank. Michael, how are you? I'm great, thanks for having me. I'm surprised you're not, you know, throwing some wild tweets out there today. <laughs> it's nice to have you in person. And anyway, anyone who hasn't seen Michael Kimani's Twitter, please do follow him. Very thought-provoking content. Yeah. How has your experience been so far in the conference? I'm just trying to relax, really, and uh, get the most out of being at this beautiful resort. Amazing, yeah. amazing. Next up, we have Miranda. So Miranda is the founder and the CEO of Scale, which you recently started about a month ago. And prior to that, you were the Senior Director of Digital Partnerships for Fintech and Ventures at Visa. Really, really nice to have you here. How has the content of the conference been? Do you think there is a movement in terms of just how people are perceiving Fintech in the ecosystem? Yeah, I think so. And hey, everyone, this is really, really cool. I love it. And thanks for having me. Yes, I think there's a move, but it's not fast enough. I also feel like there should be more females on those panels talking about their experiences and their points of views. But ultimately, I think we're moving in the right direction. And it's great, it's great to hear different perspectives of the ecosystem and how they're embracing or enabling different use cases that we see across the continent. So it's been great. More on that as we'll unpack and debate a little bit later. And lastly, I have Efayomi, who's the principal at Flourish Ventures. Efayomi, have you been to Zambia before? It's my second time. Second time. How you, what's your favorite thing about Zambia? The people. Yeah, very friendly people, <laughs> very open, very um, kind. Cool. And before we get into it, we'd just like to involve you guys. So we just have an opening question. What is the one word you could use to describe the fintech ecosystem in Africa? And please feel free to just shout or say the first thing that comes to mind. Overrated. <laughs> okay, overrated. Any other takes? Abundant. Okay, so one more? You have a crazy spectrum now. I know. <laughs> Anyone else? Promising for me. 
promising. Okay, cool. So I think as you all can see, this won't be an ordinary podcast where we do all the talking. Uh, so the way we'll structure it is we'll just kick off a discussion with the topic and a 25-minute conversation with everyone here. And then we'll be inviting all of you for robust engagement, debates. Please do challenge the topic so that we can all leave here with something to chew over post the podcast. Now, FinTech. There's been a lot of funding that's been channeled into the fintech space, about 1.4 billion in 2022 alone, which is over 40% of all the funding across the continent. What do you guys believe is the true driving force for why fintech attracts so much capital? Michael? I mean, I think for me, it's because a lot of things that we do on this continent are about commerce, yeah? Like, maybe it usually starts with a bit of discovery, then it moves into conversations then you get into some type of value exchange. So I think, for example, there's a lot of industries, a lot of verticals in the African tech ecosystem that would not just be possible if you do not have a way to settle a transaction, something like, uh, like e-commerce. I think in a lot of our countries, at least from Kenya and East Africa, pretty obvious that a lot of people are in the business of trade. Yeah? So they're always trying to arbitrage some type of goods or some service, you know, like we have millions of people on this continent who are supporting families, they're supporting households, they need to earn, you know. So I think the tech ecosystem is not separate from that. You know, a lot of the solutions that we talk about are usually about uh, enabling these people maybe to scale their businesses. So I think money exchange is a critical part of the future success story of this con continent and that's why Fintech has been the first, the first one. It gets all the attention. It's probably overrated, like he said, you know. But I guess that's why we are here today, because maybe it's not Fintech. It's everything else with Fintech components, you know. Yeah. yeah. And that is the true question, right? To say, if we understand Africa's core industries being commerce, being logistics, and payments is just the infrastructure, right? Is it just an enabler or is it a vertical on its own? Miranda, do you think we need that clear delineation across like FinTech and other verticals? Or maybe FinTech is just an enabler and it's not an industry on its own? So if I answer the question, hell yes, it is the one true vertical of Africa's tech ecosystem. So let me ask you, today alone, did you trade something with someone, yes or no? Okay. On a daily basis, would you say that you don't trade something with someone? Is there a day where you do not trade something with someone? Let me ask you another question. If you left your house this morning, or you left your hotel room, you left your wallet, would you go back and fetch it? <laughs> if you left your phone, would you go back and fetch it? Yes. Why? Because you want to be connected. It's convenient, you must have it, and if you need to pay for something, you've got your phone. You don't need your wallet. That is fintech. It's simply financial technology. Back in the day when you were trading gold and silver and all those different methods of payments that could be likened to mobile money, Visa, MasterCard, e-commerce, face-to-face, wallets like Apple Pay, GPay, it's just in a different setting. But at the very beginning, we're trading there is commerce taking place, whether that's skills, value, or monetary. And at the very crux of fintech is financial technology. And if you further segment that into reg tech, agri tech, ed tech, health tech, within all of those segments, you're transacting. 
So it may be that, you know, you know in Lion King, where Mufasa looks at Simba and he says, son, that dark place there, don't go there. You know, I feel that's how the central banks look at fintechs. So we must stand on our own and be that dark place that people should not go because it's unregulated, it's simple, it's convenient, it's faster. But you know what? It works. And that's what customers want. To answer your earlier question, my view is very simple. The reason that there's been so much of investment into Africa, I'll answer it in two parts. And I'm going to give my personal opinion, because I don't work for a corporate, <laughs> you know, or yeah, another organization. Now you, mine. you <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll answer it in two parts. One is buzzwords. Things like financial inclusion, financial access, and emerging markets in Africa, because people feel sorry for us. So they want to give us their money and hope that these alternative payment methods can bring some incredible return, but you have no idea what a micro-merchant looks like in an African market. But that investment is great for us, because we get the opportunity to innovate and develop products and services that meet customer needs. The second part of it, and from an African perspective, is that it's simply that people just want more. They want more than sending money to each other on a USSD, and they want more than the ability to transact at a merchant. And a merchant wants more than to be forced to either accept a bank card payment on one of their five terminals, or via mobile money that's expensive. And what FinTech does is it innovates, we hope, around customer needs, solving problems in ways that it's easy, accessible, convenient. And so my answer is yes. It's the one true vertical of Africa's tech ecosystem, and everything's going to touch it in a couple of years from now. Spoken Thank like you. a true steward for the fintech ecosystem. But, but one could also argue, though, and if you want me, I'll put you on the spot, that while there has been all this funding, right, for a number of different years, a lot of payment startups, a lot of lending startups, and are we actually seeing true progress and traction? Are the valuations that these startups are raising are justified, right? So what do you guys say in terms of, are we getting out of fintech what we need to be seeing? from a progress and that financial inclusion that we do hail as the golden or north star for fintech? Yeah, so I guess I would think of that from two lenses, right? One is, are we, are investors making money? So are we seeing, like, are people making a lot of money from the investments they're making into the fintech sector? I think the second is on the ground. Are we seeing impacts that have been developed? So are our day-to-day -day lives being affected by the progress that's been made? I would say on the first one, as an investor, it's not a great story, folks. I mean, let's be honest. Like, we haven't seen, we haven't seen a lot of attractive exits in the fintech space, but also in the tech space more broadly. There's been less than a handful of IPOs. There's been a very small number of, of large-scale acquisitions. So, from a funding perspective, you would say the African investment story in tech and in fintech in particular is not a particularly rosy story. If you look at the impact on the ground. It's a very different. I, I would posit that it's been a lot of developments in the last five years that have fundamentally changed the way that we all interact, transact, and get money. The way that we can send money across borders has changed. The type of ways that we can pay for things, the, the, the way that we can access credit, all of these things have had a, an incredible amount of progress in the last five years. So, so in many ways, it's a tale of two cities, right? There's been a lot of money poured into the ecosystem and we've reaped the benefits as far as the products that we can access. But from an investment perspective, we haven't seen great returns. And that remains the question. And I'd be curious when we get to the Q&A, just on your views on, do you think 
that the valuations that fintechs raise at are actually justified? And are we seeing progress like what has been put forward for us to anticipate? Michael Kimani, I think you know you come from a very interesting space where you guys are leveraging sort of new technologies in new industries. And yes, you do rely on fintech rails, but the true value creation actually lies a little bit outside of fintech. Um, what do you say to a Miranda who's like, actually, you're still fintech at your core. Like, do you believe that there is true value that exists outside, whether it's in commerce, whether it's in gaming, and any insights you can share on that? I think for me, I feel like fintech was a great starter, but I feel like there's a lot that it hasn't done. And it's almost as if we are trying to improve on it. Like PhoneBank, PhoneBank, we are a company that's built using a blockchain technology. We do everything that a typical fintech does. We are able to on-ramp payments. We are able to off-ramp payments. But we are different because of the technology we use, for example. We're able to enable micropayments. Let's say you can pay, someone from Zambia can send less than a dollar to a creator from, uh, from Kenya, you know. Like you can have all these possibilities around micropayments for people like creators, you know? So for me, what I've been feeling about FinTech is that I feel like there's a lot to be done. And for me, it's about, I always look at how is FinTech enabling all the young people who are unemployed in this continent to earn an extra dollar in their pocket? Yeah. Because what you find in a lot of these markets, like I'm really people, people focused, people centric. You find a lot of people have mobile wallets. They have a SIM card, you know, but they don't have any money in it. So I'm always like, who's going to solve this problem? You know, we or could... who, who has actual salaries coming into the digital bank? Exactly. Like, it's, it's almost like we have the wallets, but we need to find a way to derive some value from there to make these wallets have some extra income. And I usually feel that's where FinTech, maybe it's unable to solve that. And maybe that's dependent on other ecosystems, maybe e-commerce, Web3 as well. And one of the things that I've been excited most about is Web3. So Web3 is really about all these millions of people we have on social media engaging all this attention, yet is it generating any income? How can we turn that into productive economic activity, you know? And in the ecosystem we are in, which is Web3, blockchain, digital assets, crypto, it's really about embedding fintech, taking fintech to the next level and embedding it into something as simple as a retweet or a like, you know? Like I really think where we are right now as a continent with all the millions of people we have on social media, we need to find a way to make those ecosystems generate some economic value that can be captured and cashed out in a real economy and spent on something like food. Yeah. So I really think that's where, I don't know if that's a fintech problem, I don't know, but at least from the Web3 space, uh, the blockchain space, what we are seeing is, we are seeing some of these uh, social media platforms are reimagining that world with baked in fintech APIs and incentives where you can create some content and earn some tokens and you can cash out. You can be on Telegram, logging into an app, play some game and earn, you know? And considering where we are in Africa right now with the millions of young people we have, I think we need to start thinking like this. Otherwise, I don't know who's gonna solve this problem and it's a real problem. Talking about Web3 and I think in the past couple of years, we've probably heard blockchain and crypto what is your guys' view on AI? I know this is the new technology that's going to transform Africa and drive financial inclusion and sort of all different efficiencies. What's your current point of view on how AI will potentially shape the fintech ecosystem going forward? Hope, don't fire me from the panel. <laughs> I, just, 
you know, I, I can't not respond. Okay. So I'm going to do course, that first and I'll defer my question. But I think, number one, it's hard to place that problem on fintech. And the reason is because fintech is not the problem. The tech is not the problem. It's tech. Problems can be solved via technology. But if they're not operating in environments that are ripe for success, if they are not supported by existing infrastructures and ecosystem players in the market, you actually can't judge them yet. If we were to give a view on blockchain and crypto, I mean, the views would change market by market. It's not that you're not doing something cool. You know, blockchain, in my view, gives somebody the ability to send money from here across the world without regulation barriers sitting behind it. Does it mean that it doesn't work? No. Does it mean that it's easy to enable as an African blockchain business, whether you call that a fintech or a tech company? Yes, you can't. You can't do that simply. So I think in terms of what fintech aims to solve, it's giving access to financial services that aimed at segments that the traditional ecosystem cannot get to or enable via innovative technology that's quick, it's simple, it's efficient, it works, and they just do it faster than a legacy traditional financial institution at its very core. Gamification, you talk about AI, everything in between that. You might, customers need to put money in in order to use a service and then get money out. And I mean, the problem of youth enablement and jobs, job creation, and how is FinTech empowering that, 100% agree. We should be doing more. Is it our problem at the core? Not really, in my view. But I'll give you one example before I stop talking. Recently, I had a conversation with somebody in South Africa who is creating energy units, right? Because the problem we have in SA, yes, we finally graduated to the rest of Africa and we have load shedding. So in some of these township communities, the students are relying on paraffin every day. So they got paraffin in their homes, they're using that to study, et cetera, et cetera. So we want to create some energy units inside of the country and give them into these communities so that they at least have an alternative to paraffin, right? So inside of this discussion, again, we're co-creating a use case. I'm trying to understand what he's trying to achieve. And he says, okay, but energy is a driver of financial inclusion. And I'm like, okay, so let's unpack this a little bit. You're going to go into a home and you're going to give them an energy unit. Behind that energy unit, you're going to give them a wallet. Behind that energy unit and wallet, you're going to give them an insurance to make sure that if anything happens with that energy unit, they're insured for it. But then you're going to give them three more energy units because this kid is finishing up his matric or he's studying at a university. And he's going to go sell those three energy units to his neighbors. And for each unit that he sells, he's going to make a com commission on it. He's going to put that commission into a wallet. He's going to become an energy agent. And essentially, if you do that across all of the township communities in South Africa, you started off with an energy unit, which is a product, but you turned it into a full-on fintech financial inclusion and access solution because you are creating jobs. You're creating access to some sort of payments platform, you're giving them the value-added services that sit around that ecosystem, which is things like insurance, plus you're giving them the opportunity to create an income for themselves, which they would never have had if you did not start by selling them an energy unit. So I think it's contextual. 
It's market-related, it's dependent on the regulation and the environment in which that fintech solution is deployed. And from an investor perspective, it's about really understanding why. At the beginning, you invested millions of dollars, but the valuation was inflated and they didn't actually hit those revenues. What is the core reason of no uptake, no usage, and that they die? Can I respond to that as well real quick? Sorry. Of course, of course. But I want to make a distinction just quickly for, for the sake of between extraction and enablement. So ex extraction means how much does one extract? How much value do you take away from a transaction or a product? And enable mean, meaning how much value are you creating, right? And FinTech serves a purpose both in extraction and enablement. The challenge is there's an imbalance, in my opinion, in Africa. So what we're describing is FinTech as an enabler. So because we have these new innovations around how to send money, how to process transactions, how to access credit, how to insure, we are actually, FinTech is an enabler for lots of other businesses and, and products and services across the continent. On the flip side, how is FinTech as an extractor? I mean, in, in, in finance, you can really make money in two ways. There's a, a, a few others, but the biggest two are gonna be transaction revenue, so, so from payments essentially, and from credit. Those are like the two big pillars. So if you are a payments-oriented company, you, fundamentally you're gonna make money on BIPs. You're gonna make small revenue depending on the interchange rates of a particular segment or whatever, but you're gonna make BIPs. That's gonna be your entire model, and you're hoping for massive scale to, to, to win. If you're on the credit side, again, you're gonna make some kind of interest revenue. So, if you look at the biggest, most valuable fintech companies in the world, right? Look at PayPal. PayPal is an enabler. They are enabling people to make transactions. And they're worth 300 or 400 billion dollars because the market for those transactions is so massive that the small bits they earn allows them to extract a lot of value. But they already are enabling. They already are creating a lot of value because merchants can buy a lot of goods. The same for Stripe. Stripe's probably the most valuable private fintech in the world. Stripe is just enabling merchants to do financial services, but they extract a lot of value because the market is so large. So I, I think what we're describing is that in Africa, fintech as an enabler is, is ubiquitous. It's in everything we see. It is, it is allowed for the tech transformation that we are all a part of. And as an enabler, it is being incredibly successful. On the flip side, as an extraction, right, how much value can we derive from the value we're creating is still really, really difficult because of the market dynamics. So I just wanted to make that, that small point because I think we're dancing around it, but that's really what we're doing. We're, we're doing a lot of good work, but it's still hard to be successful from a financial perspective. Love that. If we align on the argument that, you know, FinTech is an enabler, and I love that distinction between extraction and enabler, and it could incentivize innovative environments um, and drive new technologies or new ways of thinking to kind of structure, I guess, unstructured markets so that we could potentially extract some value in the future. What are your guys' bets and what that could look like in the next two to three years? I think as an ecosystem, we're at this juncture point of learning, reflecting, seeing what's working, what's not working. What is your guys' individual bets as to what 2024 and beyond could look like for how FinTech could help bridge that gap between enablement and extraction of value? Just a caveat, we are already extracting value out of FinTech. And I think that in the coming years, I think the actual change is not sitting with the FinTech. I think it's sitting with the environment. 
I think it's sitting with the FIs, the regulations, the sandboxes that creates a more thriving soil for some of these innovative businesses and not even just fintech, you know, the ecosystem at large, things like AI, blockchain, crypto, financial technology, for those to actually exist with low barriers and so that the perception that the value is low but the input is high, that dynamic starts to shift. And you really start to see the impact and value that it has on a consumer's life. The fact that they can access something in real time on their mobile device without leaving their home. Or the fact that a merchant is able to get online and you know accept payments via Instagram and WhatsApp and that kind of thing. I think that's, in my view, it's not the very innovative AI type answer, but in my view, it's we hope that the ecosystem around us, the regulation and the banks, you know, change and adapt and that we all end up growing in a direction that is actually built for consumers and merchants and the continent. So I think I'm going to say something and then answer your question. I think uh, something worth mentioning is that in Kenya, then number of mobile money transactions has been declining for the last two quarters. And the reason for that is it's too expensive to send money using Africa's most popular mobile money wallet, yeah? So actually nowadays in Kenya, merchants are asking their customers to pay them in cash. cash. Because there's also the risk that the government, the government doesn't have any money. So they're trying to raise money from as many sources as they can. And this is possibly leading to them adding a tax on mobile money wallets, you know? And your family, maybe we can talk about this later. You can tell me whether that is enabling or that is extracting or well, that's a barrier. Depletion. Yeah? <laughs> We're moving backwards. So for me, I think to answer your question, what is looking like the next four years, I think right now it's very clear. Africa is in a, there's huge problems, you know, the, the governments are laden with debt, interest rates have gone up, the economy has been in a slowdown. So I think a lot of people right now are really making decisions. A lot of households, a lot of individuals, a lot of young people are making decisions based on their current reality. So where I'd be looking really for, so for me, I always follow the people. Where are the people going? Right now, I suspect, I get the feel that people are gonna be looking for how can they un, add an extra dollar into their wallet, their household wallet, their individual wallet. So I'm trying to see like whether, like the AFTRA, for example, the African, that's something that's gonna open up new opportunity for traders to grow their business. I'm looking at the, online virtual economy, you know, there's been an explosion. Always kind of name dropping yeah. fun bank there. <laughs> it's true, you know, that's the bet we are taking actually. Yeah. We are taking a bet on, on, on this virtual economy and I think it's been growing since Corona. COVID was actually an accelerator of this virtual economy. So I'm expecting that to be a driver of adoption of FinTech in those ecosystem because that's where all the attention is gonna be. That's where gonna, people are gonna be. So I always say, follow the people. So what are the people doing right now? They're looking for money. Do they want to do more trade? Are they becoming creators? That's where the money is. Yeah, and that's where FinTech should go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I like follow the people. I like that. Because I think that's where innovation will go. Generally, I say follow the money, right? Generally. Because in many ways, I think this last phase of innovation in Africa was follow the people. It was, let's take this huge market opportunity identify where there's the biggest problems, invest capital to solving those problems. And I think as a result of that, it's led to a lot of enablement. There has been this shift as far as products, product availability, et cetera. 
I think for this next phase, those same investors will say, you know, we've done a lot of good work. You know, we've, we've made some challenges, some changes. We've done some things. We haven't made a lot of money. And when it comes to how do we extract value, how do we create a lot of money? Personally, I think what that will lead to is a shift from B to C to more B to B enablement. I think as we think about a lot of the solutions were made for consumers and for individuals, I think this next generation of products will be catered towards merchants and enterprises because they have a higher willingness to pay and because it's a, a, a big market opportunity. If you look at the most valuable companies or financial companies on the continent, it's going to be banks, right? And who do banks serve? If you look at a bank's income statement, there'll be three line items that make up the bulk of their revenue. There'll be FX, which is primarily doing getting FX for big businesses and enterprises. It'll be lending, just primarily loans for big businesses and enterprises. And then it'll be like government debt, like government securities, just purchasing T-bills and, and treasury, treasury loans. So all of the banks are servicing these big businesses and that's been wildly profitable for them for generations. And I think more and more fintechs are already starting to move to those segments. If you look at the biggest innovations, like you know, we talked about blockchain, stable coins, right? Most of the, the, the two years ago, all these crypto exchanges were retail exchanges. They were focused on the average African who needs to have access to USDT in order to store his, his money so he doesn't get deflated, or he needs to be able to send cross-border. All these companies are making their revenue by doing B2B large-scale transactions because that's where there's profit. So I think that, that we might be at the end of the fall of the people, but we might be moving towards the fall of the money. And for my bet, the fall of the money means service businesses, service folks who have high willingness to pay, extract value versus focus on enablement. It's a little bit somber, but... Whew, okay, I think this has been quite a robust discussion. I personally don't know where we still fall on the opinion of FinTech is the one true vertical. I think obviously on stage, we all have a line that there's a lot of enablement that's happened and a lot of positive outcomes from that enablement. But whether true value has been realized and if these valuations are justified, I think it's still up for debate. And this is when we open it up to the rest of you, curious on your thoughts, your questions, or anything that you could challenge some of the insights that have been brought on stage. And we do have a rolling mic that will be going around. You spoke about regulation. I find that there's a general problem, and I'm being very broad-based here, that within many African economies that are political class, you're looking at one, often two generations older than none of the end users. As a continent, yep. generally speaking, you know, Zambia, 60% of the population is, I think, mean age of 30, 30 and lower, something crazy like that. How do you transport that generational knowledge into the regulatory sphere? I mean, in South Africa, in our government, one minister, maybe two, is below the age of 50. Yep. And if they don't understand the product, how can they regulate it effectively? So how do you break that problem or solve it? I have no idea. I'm just just to know of the guys at the coalface, just your opinion on that. Yeah, that's a great question. Can I, can I go first? You go for it. So I'm also the chairman of the Blockchain Association of Kenya. And what we've been doing is uh, trying to show these 50-year-olds uh, that these are... Uh, <laughs> really, it's really unfortunate. I, re I really think this is the reality. This is the reality of, at, at least my country and in East Africa, you just have a class of decision-makers, of legislatures, who are really fine, far removed from this new technology. Yet you have these young people who are really confident about this technology for the future. So at the, at the Blockchain Association of Kenya, we've been trying to bridge that gap between uh, parliamentarians, uh, the policymakers, the regulators, with the early startup community. 
Yeah, and we actually just had a meeting a couple of days ago with Finance and National Planning Committee in Kenya. They had imposed some ridiculous digital tax, about 3% on digital taxes. That was on the gross value. It was like poorly thought out. And they were quite open. We were quite, quite impressed. We made a presentation to them showing, the, showing them the opportunity to turn this digital asset industry into an opportunity for Kenya to attract investments, to attract more startups. And they quite literally gave us the mandate to go set up a bill, a virtual assets bill, and come back to them with one in, in two months. You're going to be seeing a press release on this the next few days. So I think for me, the startup ecosystem, the people who are really champions of these new technologies, they really need to take ownership yeah, and understand that they're not just technicians or technical people. A lot of part of this is also about community building. Part of this is also about policy making and engaging these people, you know. So I, I, sometimes I feel like as techies, we've also been too stuck in ourselves, you know. We talk a lot about this technology and what it can do, but we forget that the decision makers, the people who have to change these things, we, we need to communicate it in a way that they understand it, you know. So maybe it's also a challenge to ourselves as well. Alternatively, maybe taking up more political and governmental roles like we're seeing in Nigeria, which I think has been quite interesting, and maybe we need more of that across the continent. I mean, I've got such a multifaceted view on that. I think maybe just some first-hand experience. I'm under 30, and I got the end of the stick of being the younger one on the fintech side inside of a very structured environment. And often I'm this young brown girl from South Africa with blonde hair sitting in a boardroom that's got 15 men in there and they're all above the age of 60. Like, why aren't you at home with the kids, you know? <laughs> but I think ultimately it's persistence, number one. Number two, it's being face-to-face -face and building relationships at the right levels inside of a central bank and a regulator. So they know who you are, they understand what you're trying to achieve, and when you're submitting your application, you've done the hard work of going and drawing those flows on a whiteboard. You've done the education that is required to get an approval on your license, and you have ticked all of the boxes in terms of making sure that your customers and your merchants are safe. But we are facing a reality that these guys are, you know, they don't understand the innovation and the value that comes out of what this type of tech is trying to bring. So my advice is to DM them on like Instagram or TikTok because the likelihood of them being on those channels is very high. You know, like these uncles are on TikTok going viral in the background, you know, so send them a message. But, you know, on a more serious note, I think it is, and it was a conversation I had at the summit with another fintech. It's to say, okay, we were talking about KYC, right, and about security and fraud. And the response that I was receiving, and, and I would understand where he's coming from, is that, yeah, but you know, the customer experience needs to be slick and seamless, and how do we do that but by not doing that? And I think that whilst I am so pro-fintech and I'm ambassador every day, all day for what the fintech businesses are doing across the continent, we have to take responsibility in terms of making sure that our innovation and technology and solutions and partners are actually following the more traditional form, and I'll say this very loosely, but traditional form of securing those payments and protecting customers. Because there's a misconception that with fintech comes risk, 
with fintech comes lack of, lack of security because these guys are young and inexperienced. They don't know what they're doing, you know. And I think if we manage to break that barrier and that mold, we enter a different type of discussion, regardless of whether that person has changed or not. But on the other side, where organisations do have the ability to you know, hire young people and put more young people into leadership and support women and support Woo! youngsters, you know, so that they can start to drive from the inside out the influence that the central banks and regulators trust. I think that we'll start to see a little bit of a shift in evolution, but it's a challenge. I very much agree with all this. I think it's about taking ownership, how you engage with them. And the third thing I would just say is make money, make them money. Like if the regular, our governments are poor, if we can make them money, if there's a revenue line that they can add to their balance sheet, they will do what they can to take some of it. So if you have a business that makes them money, they will make policy that accommodates it. I love that. Do what they can to take some of it. Next question. So I've heard a lot about um, the dichotomy here of value creation and impact on the, on the grassroots level versus the value extraction. And I was wondering, it, to, to me, I, I'm piggybacking off the last question as well, but to me it sounds like it's essentially policy problems. And I, I, I want to understand more about it because this is, uh, that's my background, but uh, not in tech. So is it, is it a stifling regulations? Is it, is it sometimes the governments are trying to take too much of a money grab from the fintechs? Or is it, is, is it uh, are they not keeping up? Or is it both? Or am I missing another tenant? I'll try and summarize it. I think that when you look at a fintech, they're trying to ultimately solve a problem. They can solve that problem within a closed loop environment. M-Pesa did that globally. They were the leaders. What problem did they solve? P2P transfers, right? When that fintech needs to evolve and grow and start adding more value and generate more revenue for their investors and bring return on capital and justify acquisitions, they need to open up those ecosystems to touch different parts of the either the stakeholders involved in a transaction or different parts of the actual enabling ecosystem. And when that happens, you're crossing borders. You're touching a bank, somebody who plugs into a Visa and MasterCard in the background. You have to do all of that within the limits, the rules, the velocities, the stores of value because your alternative payment method, your funds are not being housed in a bank and your customer doesn't have a bank account. They have an Excel spreadsheet in the back that's called a wallet and you're basically saying debit credit here, but now stick a MasterCard in there and allow open wide spend. And oh, by the way, you know, there's a money laundering mitigation tool in here, but it's just the risk that gets associated with that. So when a fintech, and even think of a large MNO who's trying to create interoperability and additional value for their customer, like the ability for an African consumer to spend online and use a card to pay for a Netflix bill, something as simple as that sometimes takes about 24, 36 months to get an, a central bank okay to launch. That's not the problem of the fintech or the solution or the payment products. It's a problem of the environment and the enablers that are needed in order to switch those products on so that customers can generate value. Because the reality is that's happening in one market down here. But within that same 36 months, the whole fintech landscape and dynamic of the whole ecosystem has changed three times. So the regulation is simple around what license do I need to operate? Where does my balance sit? 
Is it a closed or open loop environment? If I'm partnering with the bank, does the bank have a view of the balances of my customers? Do they need to hold my floats? Must it only be a prepaid card or can it be a debit card and can I point that transaction to a store of value where I don't know the source of funding? So it's all of that nitty gritty granular stuff. To be honest, it's the crappy stuff that we often don't pay enough attention to. But if we can sort that out and package it in a way that's simple and easy to understand, and that doesn't shake up a regulator when they get that submission, the likelihood of us getting that over the line quicker is maybe a little bit higher, You're right? But it's also around educating. If you've got traditional bankers or regulators and policymakers sitting at the decision-making table, and all they know is traditional payments which are fragmented across the African continent. If you give them some innovation that is, use WhatsApp to make a payment that's linked to something cool in the background, like they're not gonna know what the hell to do with that. And they're immediately gonna say, actually, this looks really, really risky. Let me go create some regulation and then put that in and then delay a fintech's growth and business and rollout for the next 17 years. <laughs> cool. I think we have time for one more question. Uh, I see a hand there. Oh, two more. Okay, cool. So, Let's start here and then we'll yes. go to him. So, I'm, I don't think I'm going to go as far as saying that uh, fintech is overrated, but there's a, a hot topic I guess, that I have had in the, the three times that I've been to the summit, which is that all of this doesn't matter if, if I'm being able to purchase something with uh, M-Pesa or use my phone or send uh, remittances, if there's not products on the shelves for consumers to buy, if the roads are crumbling, if uh, ESCOM's power load shedding is happening, the stores are closed, if I can't get uh, a new tire to fix my Boda Boda in, in Kenya, correct? Like this, if I can't actually buy anything, what does it all matter? So, so what I'm positing is that there's a ceiling to the success, the, the, the success of the, for the investors, because of the infrastructure constraints here in Africa. So what, what threshold do we need to get to, and what is your role as people involved in tech in actually pushing forward infrastructure changes, not just changes in digital infrastructure, but physical manifestation of roads, rail, water, sanitation, things like that? Yeah, so I actually think that's a great comment because I think it's related to the previous question in that ultimately it's all about economic value. Like we are in an economic value exchange environment and FinTech is just an enabler of, of that. And if there's no demand, enough demand for goods or services, there's not gonna be any money exchange. And his prior question was about what are the policymakers doing wrong? So for me, I, I've always seen that maybe this is, and, and then your last question was, what do you guys as tech people I, always, I feel like maybe this is not a tech people problem. Maybe it's a multi-stakeholder problem. Like I really feel like the, the policy makers, they've been quite passive in enabling environments and they've also been quite rule-based, yeah? Whereas they should really be thinking as lab people, people in a lab. How can we think like people in a lab and this is a lab, how can we create an ecosystem that can enable us to bridge that ceiling from where it is right now, higher up. So how we push that, so the way I'm pushing that for me is I realized a long time ago that we could be great entrepreneurs and we are talking all this stuff amongst ourselves, but the moment we need to go and talk to the regulators, how do we go? And this is a problem I've seen in Kenya. They, the crypto companies, they can't access bank accounts and they don't 
they eventually had to come to the association that I had founded, you know. So I think sometimes our tech entrepreneurs, like I keep saying, we need to step out of our technician mindset and also see ourselves as maybe we are, I've actually been thinking of myself more as the next age policymaker or the next age government official. So I really think we are moving to a place where government, policymakers, regulators, they're going to have to get more involved in also shaping this ecosystem, not just coming in as a referee, right? Yeah? You agree with me? <laughs> no, I agree with him. You know. <laughs> Some initial alignment on the panel. <laughs> with one cap, I don't want to be, I don't think of myself as a new age policymaker. No. I'll leave that to you, to Michael. But I think you spot on, right? And I think that it is a very, very, very difficult challenge. But I think the really, really cool part is that FinTech, as the one true vertical of Africa's tech ecosystem, touches many different <laughs> things. She is still pushing, pushing, that, arguing you know, for that case. And, it's, and a simple example of that is when you think about, like, agri-tech, you know, it's, yes, we're not building roads, right? But we are solving some sort of problem that's not just, ah, tap your phone. Do you know what I'm saying? And, I mean, like, I'm a big car person, I drive an M4 BMW in in South Africa. It's a competition, you know, carbon fiber in case I roll. But I mean, but I mean, they, I cannot drive on South African roads for five minutes without hitting mega ditch potholes, right? I'm a taxpayer. And recently, like I love my country guys, you know, they, we implemented some cool tech around real-time payments and pay shop zero fees. Awesome. But the people who are banked were willing to pay seven bucks for a real-time transfer. And when you look at that, and you look at the bottom of the layer, we're now compensating for the zero cost, right? So I think it's exactly what he said around, it's an ecosystem play. And it's the fact that in some areas, you make money, you know? And it's like you said earlier. And so that's very, very difficult to change. But what I think we are doing right is it's always linked to some sort of value, which leads me back to that energy example that I gave earlier, trying to solve a problem. But if we could fix our potholes out here, yeah, that, that'd be great. <laughs> I'll just quickly respond. I mean, like this June, I had like a, a deep like depression, you know? And I'll explain why. And it was for a bunch of stuff going on, but I went to Rwanda. And I hadn't been to Rwanda in many years. And I remember just looking around, seeing the roads, seeing the, the hospitals, you know, walk around at night. And I'm from Sierra Leone. We also had a horrible civil war in the 90s. And if you look at the trajectory of those two countries in the last 20 years, the, the disparity, that, that was what, what got me depressed because I realized that no matter how innovative, hardworking, creative, and collaborative we can be as entrepreneurs, by far the most valuable lever for progress in the markets that we operate is government and policy. And unfortunately, poor leadership will always be a handicap for whatever brilliant work we do. And so I think many of us acknowledge that maybe the, the largest lever might be policy, and that might continue to be a handicap for the work that we do. However, as an entrepreneur, we are able to push boundaries beyond what exists. 100% is no longer the limit. It becomes a threshold for us to push past. And so that's what is encouraging, is because we, we feel, I think that optimism is what, is what drives all of us to, to do this type of work. And on the flip side, there is a reality, right? There are limitations based on 
those political systems that we operate within. Love that. One last question. A few rhetorics that will lead to my question to all of you. Right? <laughs> um, so there's a, there's a popular saying, cash is king, right? And it, it, it makes me start to think about whether accessing financial services. So, so this cliche makes me start to think about whether accessing financial services in Africa today is a liability, right? Um, in terms of digital financial services. Because we always go with the premise, I can give you access to money, but you need to buy X either a device to access that capability, or you need to pay for Y, which is a transaction fee, or you need to do Z, which is an extra layer of customer journey I need to go through, right? And the irony of digital financial services in Africa today as a catalyst of inclusion creates some questions around digital divide. We haven't solved for our basic infrastructure, and we are talking about financial inclusion through digital financial services. Every single day, I enable a privileged person to perform a certain complex financial transaction. I leave the person who has zero access to financial services a gap behind, right? Then there's cost of devices. They are never getting lower. Taxes are increasing by the day. That means access to these devices are increasing by the day. So affordability is questionable. Then there's a cost of transactions compared to cash. If I keep cash and I pay with cash, I don't pay any extra transaction fee. It is more convenient, debatable. Then there's also the priority of the mass market in Africa. Majority of them still fall below the poverty line. They are thinking about what food to eat, where to sleep, how to buy the basic clothes, use clothes, etc., etc. Then lastly is our over-engineered customer experience of trying to solve for basic access to financial services. Everybody wants to create an app, right? And it leaves us with so many solutions in Africa, but still not closing that digital financial inclusion gap we are talking about. There are issues around cost of fund when you look at a fintech versus a bank. You look at regulations for a fintech and a bank. You look at transaction cost for a fintech and a bank. The pathway to market for fintechs are generally expensive. And who bears the cost? The user. So does a true fintech infrastructure really exist in Africa? And my question to you guys as you wrap up the session is, what would democratizing financial services in Africa truly mean if there isn't a true infrastructure in terms of financial technology services? Because we ride on commercial banks. We ride on central bank systems. But they are the systems we are trying to disrupt to make financial services easy. You've raised some great points. I think you even left out one. Once you get a device, you also have to charge it. You need energy units, right? I think for me, the best infrastructure... I've also been feeling, I think, earlier when you were talking, I wanted to say that I feel like the real vertical of African... Uh, what do you say? African tech ecosystem. I think it's social, conversations, chat, trust. Like, I feel Africans are really relationship-based. And even if the internet went out tonight or there was no electricity, I think people would still be able to do transactions, even remote transactions, yeah, because of our trust or relationship that they have built. So for me, I think if you ask me the ideal infrastructure, it would have to be community-based, so that whatever communities exist out there, however small, however big, they should be able to maybe have their own payment infrastructure. Like, for example, in Kenya, we have some slums that have adopted their own community currency, and it's digital, and it's, it just allows them to trade within the, the people that they know each other, and it's based on trust, you see? So I really think if I had to bet on something, I'd say 
infrastructure that supports community, community financial services, if it's savings, if it's uh, lending within communities, if it's making payments within communities, and communities vary. There's communities of uh, cooperatives, thousands, hundred thousand people. There's smaller communities of uh, savings groups, 30, 40, 50 people. So I think communities are a critical part of the African ecosystem. Yeah, these trade communities, these social communities, families. I really think communities span every spectrum of African societies. So if I had to build something, something I'm really passionate about is infrastructure that can enable communities to shape their own, uh, whatever it is they want to do. Everything you said was valid. Everything. And I agree 100% with everything you said. Do you know how many mobile money wallets exist on the African continent? According to the GSMA report last year, 763 million, 55% unbanked. When those stats are looked at, they look at bank whether somebody has a bank account. But to answer your question, does a fintech infrastructure exist in Africa today? Yes, it's mobile money. It is the global leader in terms of alternative payments. Why? Because it works. Gives the consumer the ability to pay and a merchant the ability to accept, right? And trade. Is it costly? Yes. Is it limited? Yes. But does it work? Yes. And I think that's what we start to see the innovation built around is those rails. And are there still people inside of emerging markets, which the African continent is, that don't have basic financial services? 100%. That is our responsibility to change. Is the innovation that's going to solve financial inclusion AI? No. Is it blockchain? No. Is it crypto? No. Is it Web3? Is it Web3? No. Sometimes it is exactly what you said. Stop over-engineering stuff. Kick it old school. Go back to basics. Lay down the infrastructure that's required. Go through the heavy lift of going to the regulator and trying to fight for a change in licensing. But the answer to your question is very subjective. It's based on the context of a market and it's based on the problem that you're solving. Because there are plenty of fintechs across the African continent that are solving problems. It may not be at mass market, right? It may be in a small area or niche that they focus on, but they exist. But if I had to bring it down to one that exists today, it's mobile money. The largest in the world copied in PESA. We have to give them credit where it's due. And all the other fintechs that are enable, enabling financial services, they ride off of that. But it's not the tech. It's the concept. It's the shift of trust from cash to mobile money. And it's from cash to mobile. And now we're, or at least I'm seeing from my perspective, the shift in trust from mobile money, where you give an agent, you get a top up on your mobile device, into card, where, okay, you, you're not seeing anything. It's virtual. It's a visa or a master, and that comes with a sense of security. But it's that education in terms of the next shift from moving from this mobile money way of transacting into something that is more digital, futuristic, forward-thinking, interoperable, and global, like a pen. That's my view. And 100%. So I, I, I agree. Like, I think we're on this transition. And I think, to, to, to your comments earlier, we should also acknowledge the limitations of cash, which are, there also are transaction fees and friction for accessing cash. It is regulated by governments who, as we've noted, can often be 
unstable. There is, its value is actually determined by markets. So cash is an innovation on its predecessor, which was metals, which is an innovation, like gold, et cetera, which is an innovation on the barter system. And today, right, mobile money is an innovation on cash. There are, there are continuing, we are continuing our, our progress in what is the medium of exchange of value. And so I believe that Africa has a lot of opportunity given it has not evolved the same way that other markets has. And that's why mobile money has been such a ubiquitous innovation because there, we, do, we haven't been limited by some of the other rails that are in the West, for example. What that looks like in the future, you know, I don't know, but I'm excited. I am, I really am. So we'll leave it at that. This has been such an insightful debate and discussion. I think we've heard the pros for why FinTech could be the one true vertical. I think Miranda's the, the champion for that argument, just how it's enabled so many different pockets of value creation across the continent, but also some of the cons, right? To say there is still a lot of infrastructure gaps and it really stops the value that investors could kind of extract from this. So we'll do a final roll call, just so that we settle the debate right here. Uh, so if you believe FinTech is not the one true vertical, please give me a woohoo! <laughs> okay, so still some people are not convinced. And if you believe that it is, please give me a yay! Oh wow, okay, that settles it, but we'll leave it up to the listeners of the African Pre-Seed Podcast to settle the debate. So thank you everyone, thank you so much to the amazing guests, please do give them a round of applause. <laughs> Thank you so much to every single person in this room for being part of the first live podcast of the African PC podcast. So, so as we close, please don't forget to follow us on social media, hashtag African Precede, and obviously look out for this episode and more. And I'm your host, Hope, and thank you so much to everyone for this amazing podcast. Thank you.